Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. He is risen. Do you believe that? He is risen. It's not, it's not he has risen. It's not just that he has risen. It's he is risen, meaning he's constantly doing it. He's doing it again today. And so when you leave today after church and, and maybe you go to work uh, tomorrow morning uh, and someone cuts you off on the road and you get a little angry because they rubbed you the wrong way. And when you step into your office and your boss is yelling at you and then you get home and, and your wife didn't clean up or, or, or the man didn't. I'm going to give the man too. The man have responsibilities. The man didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't clean up the yard, whatever it was. And you're so angry, fear, anger is rising in you. Remember that Jesus is rising even higher and he's resurrecting you to remember, Hey, Hey, I don't have to, I don't have to be angry in my sin. I don't have to, I don't have to act out in my anger because Jesus, Jesus, someone say Jesus, Jesus is risen. And in my fear, when I'm afraid, and when my fear is blocking me from getting to my destiny and where God wants me to, to be and what he wants me to do, and I'm a little bit afraid, I'm reminded by the scriptures that say that he is on my side. I don't have to fear. And so when, when Jesus begins to rise in me, that fear begins to shrivel up. That's what it means when we say he is risen. He didn't just do it once. He's doing it every single day because we are fallen human beings. Amen. It is so good to be with you this morning, church. Um, man, can we just give it up real quick? One more time for the King of Kings this morning. That's the reason that we're, we're celebrating. I'm just curious, how many of you guys by show of hands went out maybe this weekend, last weekend, you bought yourself an Easter outfit? Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Yeah, come on. What? Proudly, proudly, right? Maybe you didn't do it for yourself. Maybe you did it for, for your kids, but you went out and you bought something for Easter. This outfit, new outfit, got it yesterday. <laughs> and and uh, I did something this, this Easter that I don't think I've ever done before. I've been a Christian for a very long time. I've been coming to church on Easter Sundays for, very, uh, for a very long time. And I think that this is the first Easter Sunday that I'm not in a suit. And it, it's a big statement because this is my first year as, as, as the, uh, the lead pastor. And this is my first Easter Sunday. I kind of did it to set a trend for myself. The remain, every other Easter, you should expect me not to be in a suit. And uh, you're like, well, why, why not? I like wearing suits. I, I feel fancy in them. My mom says I look handsome. But I just, I, I, I don't get, I'm not very comfortable in suits, especially when I'm singing and I'm moving around a lot. And today I, I have a lot of reason to be moving around a lot because I'm extra excited. Um, so, you, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says something very important. He says, without the resurrection, all this is for nothing. So you could have saved your money instead of buying your Easter outfit if Jesus didn't resurrect. Without the resurrection, all of this it's pointless, and you could have stayed home, and you could have had breakfast with your family. You could have had an Easter egg hunt with your children. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, everything that we believe about Christ is a lie. Every song that we sing, every sermon that we listen to, everything just becomes kind of a religion. And, and, and we're not really worshiping a person because there's not a person on the other end. It's just a religion. It's not a relationship. If Jesus didn't resurrect, death still has the ultimate victim, victory. But we know that's not the case. And I want to just give a, a little bit of a, 
an apologetics lesson. Real, real quick, um, you know that many historians, uh, whether they're believers or not, they all agree, most of them agree, that Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross. He was buried in a tomb, and a few days later, the body went missing. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird that the body of Jesus was, wasn't even ever found thousands of years after the fact. It's kind of weird that if the apostles wanted to fabricate a story and they wanted to make you believe something, it's weird that they would have used women as their key witnesses. Because in these days, credibility was everything. And all you had was your word and your reputation. It's not like today where you can go on Google and fact check something. You can't go on Snopes.com and and find out if a story is true. So it's kind of weird that they would have used women because in these days women had no voice. They had no credibility. And yet they're the ones listed as the key witnesses on on the scene. It's kind of weird that that this highly educated dude, this highly respectable person, Paul, who hated Christians, whose life goal was to persecute them and put an end to this, this thing called the way, all of a sudden becomes one. And not just one, but, but the, probably the most influential Christian that has ever walked the face of the world. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Makes you kind of think, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he did resurrect. Maybe all these reports are true. And maybe, maybe the reason that it's so hard to believe is only because it's, it's supposed to be hard to believe. Jesus defeated death. Who does that? So maybe our praise is, is merited this morning. And your attendance is less about that awesome petting zoo outside and more about our Savior and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And maybe that Easter outfit that you spent your money on, even though you're only going to wear it once, maybe it's worth it. Tell the person next to you, Jesus died. Oh, I hope you say this one louder, but he resurrected. Jesus died, but he resurrected. Do you believe that with me this morning? And if you don't believe it, it's all good because I got a sermon for you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. I'm sorry this has only been my introduction. I get to preach a little bit more on Easter. That's every pastor's right. (laughs) All right, I'm going to need you to help me out this morning. Can I, can I count on some of you? All right, I need, I need you to be attentive. This is, a, this is a word from God this morning. And it says, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, it says, And you were dead. Someone say, who, me? Yeah, you. In the trespasses of your sin, in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But the next part says, don't you love it when this happens? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, You have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Wow, what a great 
passage. Because even though it was written to the Ephesians around 2,000 years ago, it still resonates really well with us where we can look at this passage and we can say, you know what? Yeah, I was once dead in my sin. I remember that day. I remember when I was always angry at people. I was, I remember when I was always bitter and I always hated people. And I just woke up every day so grumpy because I had a terrible outlook on the world. I remember that day when I was dead in my sin. I remember that day when I was following the course and the pattern of this world being led to destruction. I remember that day when I was being led by the prince and the power of the air. But then I also remember the day, the only day that counts in my life when God changes the course of my destiny and now my confidence, my confidence is an eternal life. Y'all gonna make me work for it today. All right. My confidence is in Christ. Anybody have confidence this morning in Christ Jesus? That's our confidence. And that all sounds good. But what about when you don't have confidence? What about when you're just, you're just not really sure If God is going to come through for you, you're not really sure that that prayer that you've been praying day and night, day and night, day and night, you're not really confident that God is going to answer it. And you're not really confident that that the, the reports of Jesus Christ are true in your life and you're losing your confidence. I've entitled this message losing my confidence. I'll never forget that time. There was a time in my life where I almost died, church. I was 11 years old, and uh, we went to Six Flags. Uh, I went with some friends. It was like a school trip. My 11-year-old girlfriend was there as well. And, uh, you know, I I wanted to make her think that I wasn't terrified of roller coasters, which I wasn't. I've always had a a love for, like, thrill, uh, exhilarating rides and getting on roller coasters. In fact, this past weekend, uh, my wife and I, we took Layla and my niece Haley to, uh, to Pleasure Pier, and... I realized that I paid $26 for myself to get on a Ferris wheel. And so I, I had to just tell Melissa, babe, um, I know this is kind of weird, but I just need you to watch you know, the kids for a second. I'm going to go on this roller coaster by myself. Uh, so I, I, I had to get, I had to get you know, my $26 worth. I've always loved roller coasters. So it wasn't really uh, a challenge for me to make my girlfriend think that I was, I was brave. Um, but, you know, something that I did when I was a kid, I would always make fun of people who didn't like roller coasters. Anyone in here don't like roller coasters? I, I, I ain't going to make fun of you. It's all good. I'm past that. I was when I was dead in my trespasses of my sin, all right? But I would make fun of people who didn't like roller coasters. My friends would be there, and they'd be like, I ain't going on that. And I would, I would make them, I would be like, dude, man up. It's just a riot. And I would say all the, like, the, the late 90s cliches, early 2000s, like, stop being a chicken. Stop being a scaredy cat. And I would just make them feel really bad for not liking uh, roller coasters. And I remember there was this particular ride that had just opened up at, at Six Flags. And it was supposed to be like the, the best one, the, the fastest one. It was so scary, right? And um, we, 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 the open, they opened the gates. And all my friends were all looking for, for a place to, to sit. And everyone's avoiding that first seat. You know, there's something about that first seat. People just don't like to navigate towards that first seat because that's where all the action is and, and everyone's kind of afraid of it. I was like, in my confidence, I was like, I'll do it. I don't care. So I went there and my girlfriend's in the back and I feel like I'm the leader of the pack. You know, I feel so, so confident. I'm this brave roller coaster warrior. And then the, the, the ride operators, they start going through seat by seat, making sure everyone is 
is buckled in. And if you've ever been to like Six Flags, you know those, those ride operators, like they hate their lives. Like they don't want to be there, right? And they're like, they're like 10 years old, right? They're like, I mean, they're like pretty much my age and they're being entrusted with people's lives. And um, so I, I remember they're going through to check everyone's seat and they get to mine and the dude, he just, he taps it. He taps my seat. He taps the, the, the shoulder. He doesn't pull on it. He taps it. And, you know, I, I, I'm thinking back now, like when I'm thinking about how Melissa straps in Layla in the, in the car seat. I mean, she's yanking on the, on the straps and she's like moving her car seat back and forth to make sure she's all good, right? And, uh, and this guy on this, this gravity-defying machine, he just comes by my seat and just taps it. And it would have been a big deal, but I really didn't think that I was buckled in right. I never heard that final click, you know, that final click that you're like, okay, I'm, everything's good. So I wasn't really confident that I was in, but I was like, okay, it's all good. This ride out operator is going to come by and he's going to make sure that I'm in right. And he comes by and he just taps my seat. And I'm, I start to freak out a little bit. And I remember I literally started yelling at this guy like, hey, dude, I don't think I'm in right. And, and you know what he does? I, I, still rem- I still remember his face. He just gives me a thumbs up. He's like, you're good. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not good. And then the ride starts moving, and I remember starting to sweat profusely. I started to cry. Thankfully, I was in the front seat. No one saw me. I was trying to get someone's attention, and no one was hearing me. Church, I 100% will tell you that I thought I was going to die that day. Like, uh, seriously, imagine you're, if you have any kids that are like 11, 10 years old, imagine their fear of thinking that they are going to fall off a roller coaster ride, and their guts are going to spill all over the floor. It's, it's bad. And that's what I thought was going to happen. I started thinking about tonight's news report and how my mom was going to take it. And, 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 and we get through the ride and thankfully I'm, I'm alive, but I am not the same person that I was a minute ago. I nearly had a heart attack thinking that that was it for me. And I remember the rest of the day, like getting on any other roller coaster, I just, I, I just wasn't into it. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Because I had completely lost my confidence. I had proven to myself that I couldn't keep it together. I, my, my pride took a hit that day. I lost my confidence in those that I thought were there to protect me, to make sure that I wasn't going to fall out a ride. And I lost my confidence. And I know that's kind of a silly example, but you know, when you lose your confidence in something, or when you lose your confidence in someone, it often results in you being in a dark place. When you lost your confidence in the person that you agreed to spend the rest of your life with and you thought everything was going to be good and you expected some ups and downs because that's what happens in marriage, but you never thought it was going to get that low and you lost your confidence in the other person. Or maybe you lost your confidence in another person, a friendship. I I remember years ago, there was, there was this, there, there was this guy here at our church I, I really admired him. Uh, I looked up to him. And then I heard that he had gotten in trouble one day because he was outside of service smoking a joint. And I found that out, and it kind of hurt me because I was young, and I was looking for someone to, to, uh, to role model after. And I got hurt. I lost my confidence that day. I remember Danny coming to, uh, up to me and telling me, hey, uh, don't, don't put your trust in man because man will fail you. Put your trust in God. But... What about when you lost your confidence in God? What about when you start slipping away? The gospel of John tells us about 
this man named Thomas. Thomas was one of the disciples of Jesus. You've probably heard him uh, about him before. He's now known forever in eternity as Doubting Thomas. He probably doesn't like that name, but that's what he gets, right? And I want to read real quick his story. It's John 20, 24 through 25, just a couple verses. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I wonder how that conversation really went down. Because it was probably a lot more intense than the way that John describes it. John, the Apostle John, he's writing this, this book probably 50, 60 years after the events actually took place. His, his, his memory might be a little bit fuzzy, and he doesn't, he doesn't put all the details in there. But I imagine that there was some back and forth between Thomas and the other disciples, where the other disciples, they go into the room, and they're like, Thomas, dude, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And Thomas is like, Jesus, Jesus, the one that just died a couple days ago on the cross, that Jesus. Yes, we saw him. He's, he, he's alive. He, he appeared to me. You can ask Peter. Ask Matthew. Ask, ask, uh, ask Andrew. Ask anyone. They're like, yeah, Thomas, he's alive, bro. And, and Thomas is like, fake news. I don't believe it. Fake news. And perhaps it would have been a little bit easier these days if, you know, they, they could have just busted out their phone and taken a selfie with Jesus and showed it to, to Thomas and say, look, dude, it's Jesus, me and Jesus. He was there. But Thomas, even in his disbelief, he would probably have still found a way to not believe. He would have looked at the picture and been like, Photoshop. Photo, I don't believe that. You can't believe everything that you see online, Peter. Some people are so stuck in their disbelief. And Jesus, uh, Thomas says, the only way that I am going to believe is if I see him. If I see him face to face and I can embrace him and I can have a conversation with him and I can put my hands where his nail-pierced hands were, that's the only way that I'm going to believe. Some people are so stuck in their disbelief. I heard an atheist say one time that even if Jesus was standing right in front of him, he would chalk it up to some type of mental hallucination. And now Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, he's so messed up that not even he can believe. And this is not just any Dude, this is, this is Thomas. This is, this is a guy who, who witnessed Jesus do some amazing things. He walked with him daily. He was a part of his ministry. He was a part of his inner circle. This was, this was a friend of Jesus. And now he's refusing to believe. This tells you that doubt can creep in to the church as well. Into the godly. Into the pastors. Into the worship leaders. Into, into the people that come every, so, every, every week. Week after week, and they're listening to the message, and they're saying amen, and they believe, and they have such a strong relationship with God. Doubt is looking for you. Doubt is looking for you. And maybe you think, oh, it'll never happen to me. My faith is strong. What about Thomas? What about Thomas, who heard from Jesus himself that, hey, in a few days, I am going to raise from the dead. And not even he believes I think sometimes we lose our confidence church because of something that happened in our past something makes us lose our confidence and maybe the 
maybe the reason that you've stopped coming to church apart from Easter is because Jesus isn't really that real to you anymore. And I'm not trying to get some, mmm, that was good. I'm not trying to get that. I'm, I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to speak your language this morning because maybe in a, in a desperate moment in your life when you called out to God, he didn't respond to you. And you've lost your confidence. I can stand here as a pastor and admit to you that it's happened to me plenty, plenty of times. There's been times where I've had plenty mu- uh, much more of doubt than I've had faith. And I spoke a little bit about this last Sunday. I talked about failed expectations, how Jesus, he was coming into the city of Jerusalem. And everyone was praising him because they had some type, some level of confidence in him that he was going to deliver them from, from what they expected him to deliver them from. And then a week went by and Jesus didn't prove to be the type of king that they were expecting. And their praises turned into hatred. And they weren't singing Hosanna, Hosanna anymore. Now they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. They had lost their confidence in who they thought he was. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning. But the Jews, seeing Jesus go to the cross, I can just imagine them thinking, man, I thought we were getting the Savior. I thought we were getting a Messiah. I thought that this was the one who was supposed to deliver on the promise. But now he's hanging on the cross, and heroes aren't supposed to die. They're supposed to conquer. And even the majority of the disciples, we read, Jesus' own friends, they weren't even present at the crucifixion. The Bible says that most of them fled for their lives. The party was over. The hope was gone. The miracles that Jesus did in the beginning, they they weren't happening anymore. Their confidence was at an all-time low because they couldn't understand how the mighty Son of God could be defeated by death. Didn't make sense. Maybe you're in a place this morning where things just don't make sense. And like Thomas, who was listening to what the disciples were saying about Jesus. Hey, Thomas, man, we, 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 see G, we saw Jesus. He's alive. He's alive. Maybe you've been listening to the reports of other people. And you've been coming week after week. And you listen to the sermons. And you listen to, to how they say God is for you. And they're trying to uplift you. And they're trying to encourage you. But you can't really believe it. And maybe you've been listening to your friends who are telling you what, what God can do for, for you because he's done it for me. And you've been opening up the scriptures and you've been reading about how God is love and he is for me. And he goes before my enemies and you're hearing the reports, but you can't believe it because you haven't seen it. And so anytime your mom says, I'm praying for you, you kind of just brush it off like, nah, that's not going to do much. Thanks, mom. And when you, when you see your friends posting about what God did for them, and they're talking about their testimonies, and they're talking about how, how they got a raise after asking God for a raise, and they got that job because they presented it to the Lord, you're just thinking, man, that could happen to anybody. That's just a coincidence. You just got lucky. You just, you worked hard. And now you, now you don't even talk anymore to God. Because when you brought your situation to God, when you were vulnerable before him, he didn't come through for you in the way that you were expecting, so your confidence in him has been lost. And so now you don't talk anymore because you think, man, he doesn't care about my problems. He doesn't really, he, 
He doesn't really care that I'm needing a miracle right now. And when I asked for a healing, death came. And when I asked for a sign, there was no sign given. When I asked God to touch me, I never felt more empty in my life. And you lost your confidence. It's an ugly place to be. It's an ugly place to be. But you know what? Can I offer you some words of encouragement this morning, church? Maybe you're here this morning. Everyone, you know, this Easter Sunday, it's a, day, it's a big celebratory day, right? Maybe you don't feel like attending the party. Maybe you're just here because this is what you do on Easter, but you don't really feel like celebrating because you don't have a reason to celebrate in your life. And you've lost your confidence in God, and you've lost your confidence in, who, in, in, in what he can do for you. Let me just tell you, man, if you've lost your confidence in God, it doesn't mean that God has lost his confidence in you. God is still thinking about you. God is still for you. God is still fighting for you. Even though your confidence is gone, even though it's at an all-time low, God still remembers you. I think about uh, the Apostle Peter when he lost his confidence and his ability to reconcile his relationship with Jesus. If you remember, Peter denied Jesus three times in the same night. And Jesus... After he resurrects, he goes over to Peter and he gives him an even greater assignment than he ever had before. Peter, feed my sheep. When Peter's confidence in himself was completely destroyed, Jesus commissions him. You, you mean you want me to feed your sheep? You're, you're still thinking about me? You mean you're still going to trust me with this assignment even, even though I did what I did? You're not going to reject me? And I also think about Job. Everybody know Job. He was going through the worst situation of his life. And he literally says this, God is the one at fault for finding fault in me. He says, though I prayed to be rescued from this torment, no whisper of justice answers me. He loses his confidence. But as the story goes, God was still in the midst. And we think about the mighty King David who writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget about me? How long will you hide your face? How long will you allow my enemies to prevail over me? Doesn't it feel like that sometimes that your enemies are just, they're just, they're just trampling on you? And you're like, God, why? Why do the, the evil prevail? Why do the evil prosper? And I, your child, am stuck. But God didn't forget about David either. And so when your confidence and God is at an all-time low, church. God still sees you for everything that he created you to be. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're not completely convinced that God is still for you. I'm going to challenge you to wait it out a little bit longer because Jesus died for even your doubt. Even your doubt. Just hang, if you just hang on through the lows and you just keep going through the valley and you stay faithful through your uncertainty, God will meet you where you are because that's what he does. He meets you in, in even lowly places. God, does, God doesn't just go to the heights of heights, man. He also goes to the low of lows. The places that make you feel lonely and you feel like there's no one else there. The darkest places. You feel unloved. You feel angry. You're ashamed. You're lost. You don't know why things keep happening to you. Those are the places that death loves to dwell because it just it wants to remind you. It wants to convince you that, that you are always going to remain dead. But Jesus went to the pits of hell to destroy it on the cross. 
He reached down to where no other man can go, and he brings us up to him. Feeling all right this morning? I told my church, I tell them every Sunday, I say, Easter's not for you guys. I'm going to bring a message to people who might need to hear this. I'm going to bring a message of salvation to remind us of what Jesus did. And so that might mean that some of our members take a back seat this morning. It's all good. Because <laughs> I, I just want to remind you of what Jesus can do even when you're in doubt. Man, I wish someone would have preached this message to me when I was in an ugly place. When I almost lost my faith. I was in an ugly place and I felt so lost because I couldn't go to anyone else to talk about it. And the only person that I went to was my wife. And I remember us crying together because I was in a dark place. So it, 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 was, it was the worst thing of my life because I, I didn't feel like God was, was who I really thought that he was. I, I didn't really think that God was, was who everyone else says that he is. And I had completely lost my confidence. But I want, I want to read something to you. It's in that same chapter, verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with him. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I want to stop real quick. You see that? You see what Jesus did there? Jesus can come through even when you've closed yourself off to him. When you've, when you've closed the door behind you and you've locked it and you've made a decision just to be angry with God, I'll never forget the first time Layla slammed the door in my face. <laughs> I, I laughed. I, I probably should have got more angry and went in there and whooped her, but it was so funny because she was like two years old and I was getting after her and she just slams the door in my face. <laughs> Some of y'all are judging my parenting. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> but how many times do we Slammed the door in the face of God because we were done with him. We were mad at him. We lost the hope. We didn't feel like being good and righteous because why do I have to try so hard to be perfect if it's impossible? Or when you were expecting triumph and instead you got failure. So you close the door and you lock it. But praise be to God, man, that Jesus breaks through every closed door and he stands before you in peace, offering you another chance to regain your confidence. He's a gentleman. He's not going to burst the door open down. He's not going to make you love him. He's not going to make you come back to him. But he's going he's gonna to penetrate even through the, through, through the, the closed and the locked doors. And he's going to just stand there waiting for you. So that you can regain your confidence. Verse 27 says, Then he said to Thomas. All the other, all the other apostles were in the room. Just a side note. Then he said to Thomas, to Thomas, the, the only one, the only sour apple in the bunch. Everyone else was good. Everyone else, the rest of the 11 apostles, they, were, they believed. They were praising Jesus. They recognized his resurrection. Everyone else was good. And Jesus goes to Thomas. So the only one that was in disbelief, it's true that, that God leaves the 99 in pursuit of the one. 
And he tells Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. There was no rebuke. There there was no walking away from Thomas because he couldn't get past his, his issues. Jesus went up to him to reassure him of the power that Jesus had over death. Jesus met Thomas where Thomas needed Jesus to meet him. And maybe you're in a place this morning where you feel like you can't talk to anyone else. Jesus will meet you there. You know, a lot of Christians, man, in our attempt to to rightly represent Christ, we often fail to do so because we think that we have to be perfect. And so when we see someone struggling with doubt, we rebuke it really quickly. We say, don't think like that. Don't do that. You got to have faith. You got to pray. You got to believe. If you have a little bit of doubt, go to the altar and repent. Repent. We got the oil right here. We're going to pour it all over you. And you got to repent and pray. But doubt, doubt is our default mode. That's our default mode. The life of sin, the life without Christ, that's our default mode because we were born into sin. And so it's not like some of us can just snap our fingers when we're outside of the will of God and everything's going to be okay. But that's the great thing about Jesus. That's why he went to the cross, to be able to reach down to the places where only sin dwells and brings us back to him. And when people are trying to condemn you because of your lack of confidence, Jesus says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, if you are here this morning, visitor, if you are here this morning, I don't know what your, what your spiritual uh, health is is right now. I don't know what your confidence level in God is right now, but let me just tell you, man, keep holding on to Jesus. Keep expecting his arrival in your life because it will happen. It happens. I want to close with this final thing. There's a, there's this author and I think he's a, he's a professor as well. I read about him, and, and he says that his wife got really ill. That uh, I can't remember what the name of the sickness was, but it's some type of mental uh, illness where you know her her brain is just quickly deteriorating uh, day by day, and and even simple speech is difficult um, for her. And he says for for so many years. He'd been pleading with God, God, take this away from my wife. Take this disgusting uh, illness away from her. And he says that it even hurt him more because she was, she was an author as well, very eloquent with her words, and now she can't even recall certain nouns. And, and, and when she's looking for her keys, she can't even remember what she's looking for. And, she, and he prayed so diligently day after day after day for years. And God didn't respond and he says when people ask me how I'm doing I tell them the truth church can I tell you that it's okay to tell the truth about how you're doing can I tell you that it's okay to be vulnerable can I tell you that it's okay that you're not perfect can I tell you that it's okay that you have a little bit of sin in your life? Can I tell you that it's okay that you have a little bit of doubt in your life? Because that is why Jesus died on the cross to cover all of that up. It's okay that you're not perfect. 
by the grace of God, by the love of God, by the blood of God, we are made whole and we are made clean. And he says, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not doing very good right now. I'm in a dark place. I'm in a lonely place. Every day I have to get up and I have to watch my wife suffer. He says, I'm only holding on by a thread. But thankfully, that thread was knit by God. And my challenge to you this morning, church, is that whatever you're going through, whatever doubt, whatever addiction you may have, whatever miracle that you've been waiting for, if you're only holding on by a thread, keep on holding on because God has confidence in you. That's why he went to the cross for you. That's why he shed his blood for you. He was thinking about you. Your name was on his mind. Your name was on his lips. Your name is on his scars in his hand and his feet and his side. Your name because he cares about you and he has confidence in you and he loves you and he wants to restore you and he wants to save you and he wants to heal you. He has confidence in you, even when I don't deserve it, God. In my brokenness, Lord, in my lack of confidence, in my doubt, my God, in my hurt, you meet me, God. You meet me, God, in the ugly. You meet me in the hood, my God, where no one wants to drive by at night because they're too afraid. You meet me there. And I thank you, God. I thank you for your sacrifice so that even in my doubt, I can run to you to be restored. Thank you, Jesus. Can we stand this morning, church? Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.